Well, welcome to this week's edition of the Wispy Mop Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. I'm your host, Todd Middlesey Walker. That's right. It is me. And we have been listening to an original composition by a gentleman by the name of Ben Sherman. It's called First Light. And he's on the phone with me now. And this is episode number 46 in the Wispy Mop Acoustic Radio Podcast Series. And I'm so pleased to have Ben Sherman, who is not only a phenomenal live performer, whether it's classical music, playing at weddings and concerts, or playing acoustic solo gigs at wineries and farm breweries, or playing with his uh, sometime partner, Elena, as a duo, or playing in classic rock bands and you name it, everything else. Um, He's a phenomenal musician from the greater Maryland area, and he's on the phone with me now. Hi, Ben. Hi, Todd. You know, the... What's that? Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, it's a pleasure. You know, I, I was going to introduce you by saying that for many years when I was getting back into music here in the Frederick, Maryland area, people kept mentioning this fellow by the name of Ben Sherman. And my mother's maiden name is Sherman. And I thought, gee, I wonder who this guy is. And it, it got to the point where I'd have people say, yes, my daughter's getting married. I said, who did, how are you doing for music? And they said, well, no, we, we hired Ben Sherman. And I got to the point where I was like, I don't know who this fellow is. And then someone said he's a guitar instructor up in Westminster. And then eventually, I don't know how I ended up seeing you live, but I did. And I'm so glad I have. But you're a, with the exception of the coronavirus uh, music hiatus, you're a very busy guy as far as uh, a musical performer, aren't you? Or have been? Yes, indeed. I've been... uh doing music full-time for quite a long time, since really the, the end of the 1980s. I've been doing um, guitar lessons and uh, performing. Now, how did you so, get into music originally? Uh, well, I was definitely uh, raised in a musical family, and uh, uh, there was piano players all around me. <laughs> and, uh, so I think uh, the expectation was was that I was going to play piano because my dad played, my older sister played, my grandmother. Um, and I did take a little piano when I was uh, very young, but I didn't really stick with it. But uh, when a guitar came into the house, I'm not sure how it even got there, but I, I just sort of gravitated to it when I was around 11 or 12. And uh, So I started lessons on that, and there was just no looking back at that point. I just fell in love with the guitar right away. Now, was that first guitar a classical nylon string, or was it a steel string? It was a nylon string, um, and my first teacher and all my teachers uh, uh, were strictly classical. Um, So I I had that sort of education right away. But at the same time, I was this was the you know mid seventies, and I was trying to teach myself to play rock and roll songs on it as well. So my dad saw me trying to play, you know, smoke on the water and things. So he did uh, get me an electric guitar shortly after I started that. So I very quickly was kind of playing both. I had my foot in two different worlds, the rock and roll and the classical. Now, do you still own both original guitars? I do not. Well, I should say, I have sort of like the, 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 the original electric guitar I have, I have it. It's sort of in pieces. I'll put it that way. <laughs> As a memento. <laughs> uh, but uh, a year after I got, he gave me that one, um, 
that was a very, very like super cheap, you know, um, Sears guitar or something like that. And, and after a year or so, I, I think my parents could see I was sticking with it and he got me a Stratocaster. Wow. And, uh, in 1974 and that one I do still have. And it's just, uh, it's, it was my number one guitar for many, many years. And as far as all my electric work. So I kept it all these years and actually, um, just a few months ago, um, I finally, uh, sort of, uh, uh, started from scratch and installed all new electronics in it. So it had a really nice sort of upgrade and uh, plays and sounds wonderful after all these years. Is that the black one that I see you on your website? Yes. Yes. Very worn around the edges, which now people pay dearly for with the new guitar to make it look that way. But yours is organic. Yep. Mine's original, all original miles, all by me. Now, I'm just curious, what have you done to, I, some people call it hot-rodding a guitar, but uh, what did you install that uh, made it different or just upgraded it? Well, actually, interestingly, there was a lot of hot-rodding had gone on over the time that I've owned it, including putting humbucking pickups in it, which are more powerful, and uh, <clears throat> because for a long time I was playing rock and roll in bands and I just wanted it to be as loud and powerful as possible even though it was a Stratocaster which really wasn't meant for that but uh, people you know if you, you find ways to do it um, so over the years it had had a lot of a lot of hot rotting to make it make it more more powerful but uh, what happened this year was uh, I actually decided to go more vintage and uh, so the pickups I have in it now I had a set of pickups in it that are a really nice match set of uh, pickups that are characterized as having vintage tone, but uh, they they definitely have a a strong clear sound and uh, they're not weak or thin, which I feel like I was always used to feel like traditional pickups for a Stratocaster. My old notion of them was that they sounded weak and thin, um, but these. These ones I got, I found this year, um, are just—they're very strong, but they just have this beautiful clarity of a, of a vintage Stratocaster sound. So I'm just super—I'm <clears throat> totally delighted with it. Well, I'm interested that you said have said that you know the Strat was not designed necessarily for the rocker, because yeah. so many photos of rock and roll bands, the lead guitarist is playing Stratocaster. Well, it's true. It's true. Um, and I guess part of it may have been my misconception of it because when I was getting started in the late seventies, early eighties, you know, I heard rock and roll. Um, I hear this thing called overdrive. Right. And, and I thought the more, the better, you know, like I, I thought the only way to get the sound that I was hearing artists uh, that I loved and I, you know, I knew some of them were playing strats like Jimi Hendrix and, uh, you know, Richie Blackmore, for example, and a number of other people. But um, I kind of always had a misconception about it. And, and I was always trying to get the Stratocaster to work with a lot of overdrive, which creates a lot of distortion. Um, but as years went by, I, I started to understand that actually I was – Mis misunderstanding the whole thing that the the sound that they were getting was more from just naturally pushing the amp and, and not 
necessarily just creating artificial overdrive, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. so as time has gone by, I've just gradually got into this thing of using less overdrive, <clears throat> but just learning how to push the amp in a way to to get that little bit of grittiness, um, but still have the guitar's natural tone speaking out. And I think it's been an evolution for me. Feeling as much as anything. Well, and looking at like the Sweetwater Sound uh, catalog, there, mm-hmm. gosh, a myriad of companies out there producing stomp boxes that reproduce what that uh, sound really is in all different versions. Yeah. It must be just mind boggling yes. for an electric guitarist to try to pick one. Yeah, for sure. Now, you, you also, <laughs> but you started playing classical and. I think you said you studied classical for a long time, didn't you? Yes, indeed. Uh, uh, five years of lessons with different teachers, you know, from the time I was 12 to when I graduated high school. And then I auditioned um, and got into a music program at, at Towson State University, which is now just Towson University in Maryland. <clears throat> and uh, that was just a very fortunate thing because... When I graduated high school, I just knew I just wanted to study music. And uh, so my parents said, well, okay, let's see what's out there. And Towson was within reach because I, I was living in uh, Sykesville, Maryland at the time. And, you know, it was only about 35, 40-minute drive to Towson. Um, and they had a music, they had a guitar subdivision within their music department. And uh, they taught classical. And you could uh, get a bachelor's degree in that. And uh, so it was an ideal situation. Um, and so that's what I did. So I, I, I spent five years there getting my bachelor's. Um, and uh, that was when I really made significant progress. I mean, I, I, I learned, learned a lot my first five years, but the five years at Towson were just absolutely essential to my understanding of how to play classical guitar. Now, is that because of learning the classical style in a much better way, or is it learning the classic songs and how to play them? Uh, both. It was um, almost like boot camp for learning classical technique. It was just far more rigorous than any other teacher had um, required of me. And it turned out I really needed that because I was I was rough and sloppy, and um, classical music does require precision as well as feeling, so I was really, really needed the technique boost, so that was important. Um, and being introduced and 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 learning to play more of the classical repertoire and understanding uh, what it is, and, and 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 in some cases how you adapt or arrangers adapt from other instruments to the guitar. But but then then a lot of times just you know learning repertoire that helps you understand the history of the guitar, which goes back to earlier instruments in the medieval and renaissance times like the vihuela and the lute um and just you know so that was uh, really eye-opening just to learn the the history and be exposed to music and then also uh, when when you major in music um uh, music theory i don't know how it is now but uh it was a required course for all music majors to take music theory as a five-day-a-week course for four semesters. Wow. And uh, so that was a very, very intense and 
and the thing is, you know, I had a good ear for music right off, you know, and I had actually found out when I was um, just getting into high school that I had perfect pitch. Um, so, so I definitely had a good ear for music and that helped me learn things by ear, but I wasn't getting a ton of music theory before I went to college. And uh, <clears throat> so at Towson, I had, had four straight semesters of it. And uh, <clears throat> that just really uh, opened up a whole nother avenue, which is just understanding, you know, how music works, the structure of scales and chords and the relationships. And uh, that was wonderful for me because I was also really, uh, I appreciated jazz a lot. Like I never really learned how to play very well, but my dad was actually a jazz musician on piano. And there was a lot of jazz in my house. And the more music theory I learned, the more I understood jazz. And uh, that really helped me to sort of expand my own ideas about what, <clears throat> how to play guitar, especially improvisation, like with the electric guitar. So it sounds to me that you enjoyed taking music theory. Oh, I did. I definitely did. I mean, it's hard work, but uh, yeah, I, I really did enjoy it, and it's it paid off for me as well because I've learned how to filter down the essentials to my students without having to, you know, put them through kind of the grueling <laughs> ordeal of of four straight semesters. I've learned how to really take the essentials of it and help my students understand the, um, the real critical things that anybody who's playing music should learn a little bit about. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely liked it and uh, value it tremendously. Now, when you teach, do you teach all three, um, electric, acoustic, and classical? Oh, yes. Um, I, I'm, I'm not too demanding on my students as far as what style they have to play. You know, I don't, I don't say I only teach this or that, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I try to go with the flow of what my students are interested in. And if they're not expressing a particular interest, I try to get them motivated to really start exploring music and find out what they love. And then I'll help them try to get into it. And so the music theory and the techniques that they need to learn um, can be more tailored to the kind of music that they're actually interested in playing. <clears throat> and and I do that because, number one, I know it, it's, it's hard to keep students motivated, and, and you have to strike a balance between wanting to educate them and wanting to keep the guitar in their hands <laughs> mm -hmm. and, keep, and get them excited about doing it. And I also just know from my own experience that, you know, no matter how dedicated I was to my studies, which I was, and I, I'm, I'm a very good student, you know, and I really can buckle down and study, but I know that the fact is that I am much more motivated to practice if I've heard something and I just it just excited me because it just sounded amazing and it just aroused my curiosity and just... And, you know, there's something musicians share, I think, a lot of musicians share. When you reach a certain point, is you, you start to hear things, and it just sounds so great to you. You just have a burning desire to understand how to play it yourself. <clears throat> and uh, I was one of those people and always have been. And so I understand how it is, you know, that it's much more motivating when you just hear something and it just clicks, it clicks inside you and 
and you have no trouble spending all the practice time you need and, and figuring out whatever technical things you need to figure out because you, you're working on music that you already know you love, you know, so I try to get my students in that direction and it's sometimes it's hard to do, but you know, that's my aim. Well, do, does the type of guitar they bring to their very first lesson give you um, an easier place to start? Let's say if they show up with a nylon string guitar, then do you start them on classical and say, this is what this guitar is designed for, and then but you may have a steel string sitting there and then an electric? Or do you lead them through and say, well, what are you asking them a question and say, well... This is a classical, this is a steel string, this acoustic, this is an electric. What floats your boat? How do you go about that? Well, it depends on their aptitude coming in. And uh, <clears throat> Some people come in and the guitar they bring with them it just happens to be the only one in their family. You know? And, uh, <clears throat> and, and the, if the student comes in and has no experience and no, no foreknowledge, um, the choice of guitar is not something they really put a lot of thought into. It just happened to be the one that was there. Mm-hmm. And so at that point, you know, if they're starting from scratch, there's a lot of fundamentals that have to be learned. And I'm going to put them in a, a Hal Leonard guitar method, book one method, <clears throat> to really get them up to speed on just the fundamentals of music, period. You know, really, um, a lot of times that's what's necessary. And then I just hope to see and I try to draw out of them if they are starting to you know, listen to music and have that thought in their mind, boy, I would love to be able to play this, you know? And I, mm-hmm. uh, I basically, I just had that conversation with my students frequently, you know, about whether they've heard anything that is interesting to them and makes them want to play or any questions about something that they've heard. And usually it, it may take a while, but eventually I start to draw things out of them. And if not, I just have to make a good guess that, about what kind of music that I can start to supplement the lessons with. And sometimes I just have to like, you know, throw some, throw some things out there and let them try it and see what sticks because uh, it's, it can be very hard to tell. Um, so it's really, it, it's really, there's no like easy answer to that. <laughs> now when, when this, let's say if, if, 20 new students show up in a, in a month. Are all 20 coming in for guitar lessons because it's something they have requested? Or is it a mixture of some want to learn guitar because their buddy owns a guitar and plays and the girls like him better? Or is it some that where the parents say, you need to learn an instrument, you have a choice, you can learn piano, clarinet, or guitar? How does it break down if that of the, that 20? Well, I'd say... Uh... Um, on the one hand, what I see most frequently is um, is middle school and high school kids who either just got a guitar recently and started fooling around with it, and their parents notice that they are actually spending some time with their guitar. Um, so the parents suggest the lessons because they would like to have their child you know, have some direction to what they're doing and not just <clears throat> noodling around. Um, in some of those cases, um, the student is blossoming on their own very quickly and their parents recognize that and they just want someone who can help them 
keep them steered in the right direction. Um, but you know, the skill level again varies, you know, but, uh, most of the time that if it's a middle school or high school, high school kid, they, they've had a guitar for a little while, um, but they haven't much had much structure. Um, and some of those cases, they played another instrument before. And in some cases, the child decided um, that they wanted to try guitar now, you know, they played saxophone or they played keyboards or, you know, sometimes a couple different things. And they're, they're just interested in music in general. So the guitar is just like another, another choice. Another category though, of students is adult students. And, and most of my adult students are people who definitely have played before. Um, and have hit a rut and they, they're sort of stuck. Um, and maybe they had lessons at one point in their life and, but it's been a long time or they just never had lessons. and They've been learning by ear all this time. And so with, with the Bell site, I usually get people who need some way to like break out of the plateaus that they're in and expand their musical knowledge. Um, so, it's it's not as common for an adult to be a beginner with me, but I do have some of them too. And then it's really um, not that much different than if it was a child who was a beginner as far as what I do with them at the beginning. Uh, but adult students usually definitely have a lot more definite opinions about what kind of music they hope to end up playing. Mm-hmm. Um, they're usually a little more out, out front with that at, at the beginning. Um, but definitely I've had a lot of adult students who, who need someone to sort of crack it open for, you know, like they're stuck. Now, is it, uh, do you have more success with beginning students moving them forward as opposed to an adult who's been playing for 30 years on and off, who's in a rut and trying to get them to move forward? Um, or is it pretty much equal? Uh, it's, it's, um, very much individualized as far as the response. I will say that what it seems like with adults is um, a lot of times if they are in that position where they've been playing for a while but they're stuck in a rut, I found that it only takes a few uh, bits of knowledge for, for me to give them that can just cause just like multiple light bulbs to go off in their head. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's where the music theory comes in. Like if I, when I parcel out the music theory in small doses and I, I explain it in a way that's very practical to learning music, you know, a lot of times that's the light bulb kicking in for that. Um, <clears throat> but also, you know, just very, very small technical adjustments sometimes and how they play technically can make a huge difference for them. And uh, so a lot of times that, that moves quicker, you know, um, but, uh, with, uh, with, uh, beginner students and, and kids, um, it's definitely, you know, varies from, from person to person, <clears throat> but it can, it can take a while before you really feel like they're getting to that breakthrough point where they're starting to take off. Um, but, uh, I found that it, it's, something that you have to stick with the student. Like, you know, like I'm, you know, I want them to do the work and, and practice, practice, practice. But at the same time, I found it's important for me to stick with them. <clears throat> and that sometimes it takes longer than others. And that's just part of, 
part of the fact that it's a very individualized thing, but I've never had a student fail to really break through and and start to be really be just be able to be very comfortable playing music given enough time and persistence. And uh, so I didn't have to really tailor it to the individual. And you mentioned adults in technique. The mm-hmm. what I've noticed is, especially when guitar players, and since I know more male guitar players than than female guitar players, into the ages of sixties and early seventies, I know many players who've started to develop either arthritis or uh, tennis elbow, mm-hmm. or they can't can no longer play a dreadnought. They have to go to an OM, a smaller size. Do you have people mm-hmm. coming in for lessons to change their technique to allow them to play better, or is it more just to break through to get to the next level? Um, it's my experience is mainly with people who just are trying to um, break through to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, occasionally, I've had that though, where someone is is starting to cope with arthritis issue, and uh, you know, I mean, in that case, one thing I I still have to offer them is um, just helping them learn more about the ergonomics of how to play uh, physically with, in a comfortable way as much as possible, which is once that goes again, all the way back to my, my days at Towson. Uh, I was very fortunate at the time. It, again, it seemed very technical at, at times, but, but, the emphasis there was uh, part of the emphasis, I should say, was on the ergonomics of it, playing with maximum efficiency, which really meant um, with the minimum amount of tension. And uh, there was a lot of emphasis on that. And it took a while for me to really get into the zone of what they were trying to ask me to do. Um, but I learned the ways about holding the guitar, positioning the guitar, um, and various things to just allow me to play what I wanted to play with a minimum amount of effort and tension. And the result is um, less strain on the hands and the arms and the shoulders and the neck and the back. And uh, the result of that is, um, you know, more endurance. You know, you can, you can sustain your, your efforts for a longer period of time without a lot of trouble. And that's a huge huge reason and uh, contributing factor to why I've been able to continue playing music full time as long as I have because <laughs> I had to apply that in my own life mm-hmm. constantly um, and because uh, I've had physical issues in my life that have been, caused challenges and I've had to learn to cope with them and uh, adapt and the main things that have helped me um, is just learning reminding myself about how to play and do things to minimize the strain and minimize the tension. Now the, and you said you've, you've consistently had success in getting your students to get to that aha moment, or I forgot how you described it. Have any of your students gone on to become professional musicians or semi-professional? Yes, indeed. Um, uh, One I can, Mentioned right off the bat that uh, I don't know a number of people in your audience may know um, as uh, Chris James. I don't know if you know Chris. I know the name. Um, he uh, took lessons from me, and uh, of all the people that I've taught, he's certainly um, really um, 
done the most uh, publicly with music of any any of my students that I know of. He's um, he he studied classical. Well, with me, he just sort of he was sort of getting off the ground when he took lessons with me, and this is way back, maybe in the late '80s, early '90s. Um, that kind of dates both of us. <laughs> but uh, he went on. Uh, he did study classical music, and he went on from there, and he got into the blues very strongly, and he went from there, and he got into um, uh, just sort of a gaining an understanding of American folk music. He learned to play the banjo, the mandolin, the harmonica, um, and when he performs now. He is like a gumbo of American music. Uh, he just has everything, and he can sing up a storm. And and it was remarkable because that happened after he took lessons from me. And although you know he's told me he really appreciated the lessons I gave him, I guess I helped him you know maintain the spark. You know, like I said about you know not giving up on the student. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> um, but he's a perfect example of someone who started off. You know, just kind of struggling along, trying to learn to play guitar. And then uh, at some point, um, it flipped over from him, and the music just, just started pouring out of him, and it has never stopped. And it's been amazing. Um, he's been involved in um, the thing they do, uh, uh, I think it's called Common Ground. Yes, mm-hmm. Common music Ground on the Hill. Yeah. yeah, he's been... Uh, uh, <clears throat> really involved with that for a long time and uh he's recorded a lot of his own music and and uh just a very strong musician very strong and uh one of, one of the few who's again made like me made a made a career out of it full time now in your musical life where i guess you could say at least prior to this past year because everyone who who performs music professionally or semi-professionally or even hobby uh, performers on the coffee house circuit, the open mic circuit like that. Of course, this past year has mm-hmm. been totally, it totally destroyed all that to a, to a point. The, do you prefer teaching over live performing or is it a, it, do you love both and you try to fit them together as best you can? I really love both. Um, I, and I, I discovered uh, quite a while ago that uh, the diversity of different things is part of what makes it work for me. <laughs> and and that because there would be times in my life where I was doing almost all solo acoustic shows and nothing else. And I just started to get cranky because I don't have an electric guitar in my hand. Mm-hmm. And then there was a time where I was just playing nothing but gigs. So I had my own rock rock trio, and I was with another band, and I was freelancing with another guy, and I just was playing electric guitar all the time, and I wasn't playing any acoustic, no finger style, and I started getting tired of that. And I, <clears throat> you know, so I I just kind of had to just make my peace of the fact that what I really liked was diversity, and I should just go with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I've tried to keep it that way, as, and and as years have gone by, I've I've just sort of <clears throat> developed enough contacts to be able to get gigs as a solo, as a duo with a band, and uh, as a classical musician or with weddings. 
um, and teaching. And uh, so that's that's worked out really well, you know, like I said, except for this, this whole uh, COVID situation <clears throat> that really blew a hole in it. But I think it'll come back eventually um, as time goes on. Um, so, but I've done the best I can to sort of maintain it with the online stuff this year. I've done a lot of live streaming and uh, <clears throat> I've made a point when I do a live stream to actually play different guitars and different styles in the same live stream. So I'm really mixing it up probably even more than I ever have this year. Now, have you ever, have you done studio work as a, a sideman? Very little, very little. And it's something I kind of regret that I, I did not really see that as a thing to do early on. And, and eventually it started to become something that I thought, well, I should really be getting into this, but I was kind of became too, too entrenched in where I was. Um, and, and I was also always for a long time, I was committed to being in one band as my main band. And I was pretty loyal to that. And I, there was a lot of times in my life where I was just sort of like, uh, deferring other kind of things to make sure that I had enough time to give my band the time and effort I wanted, wanted, wanted to. And, uh, so something I never really got into as much as much as I wanted to. I am anticipating now there's so much available in the way of software and, and direct to digital hardware these days for, for producing guitar music. Um, and, uh, so that's something I'm really thinking about getting much more seriously into is um, being able to produce my own tracks at home and then remotely share with other people um, because that's definitely the way the recording business has become anyway for a lot of people. It's been become a very DIY um, kind of business, um, the business of recording. Well, the tune that we started the show with, First Light, which is your composition, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, how did you record that? That was in a regular old studio to good old tape. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that was done in 1998, I think. I'm not mistaken. Uh, the keyboard player in my band, Hectic Red, which was, was so I was referring to as my number one band for a very long time, um, he uh, was uh, owning. He was owner and operator of his own recording studio. And uh, <clears throat> when I got the idea to do a do an album, um, he was very gracious about uh, letting me in the studio and off hours, <clears throat> giving me a big break on his rates. And uh, um, but yeah, that was back at the time when uh, they were just starting to get into digital formats for the very very first time. And so for him, uh, going to tape uh, was still the conventional way to go. And so we recorded it, uh, mixed it together. Um, but he, he basically recorded it, engineered it, and mixed most of it. Uh, his name is John Suchi. And so that was recorded on a Taylor, I'm not sure what model, uh, that was loaned to me for the session and just recorded with a couple really good mics on the tape. Well, the the acoustic performances of yours where I have seen you play 
and you play an acoustic guitar. And I asked you about it one time, and I forgot what you said. I think you said it was built for you by someone. Well, it wasn't built for me, but it was it was uh, given to me as a gift. Uh, the person that made it was a friend of a relative of mine who was a, a guy who I think he had experience in woodworking, but he was not a guitar guitar maker per se. He took it up as a hobby when he retired, and come uh, by the by the time I I got to know the person, which was strictly by mail and by phone because he lived in Maine, he was 80 years old and he had built I think maybe 20 or so guitars. And uh, um, when he his his idea was to build them, and I think he built more than 20, but he built 20 that he thought were good enough, and he would give them away. Mm. Um, because he just wanted to put them into the hands of guitar players to get feedback on how, how he was doing. Um, so what happened was this relative of mine knew the man and, and he contacted him about it and just thought it would be a great gift for me one year for my birthday. This was back in 2001, I believe, or two. And so, um, he said, yes, I do have one ready and it's good. And so they, he sent it down in a, an orange shell case um, from Maine to Maryland, and it was given to me as a surprise birthday gift. And uh, I was flabbergasted because it was, number one, it was a handmade guitar, and it was beautiful. And number two, it was great. <laughs> and uh, so that guitar is now, ah, now that we talk about it, that means it's going on, tw- on 20 years old this year. So it's really opened up. Oh my goodness! It's uh, become just a beautiful guitar. Um, the, the tone, yeah, has really, really blossomed and and aged beautifully. And I uh, just love playing it. So yeah, it's that's been my number one now for almost these twenty years. Now, looking at the photos on your website, and for those folks listening, if you want to see more of Ben, if you don't know him, you can go to bensshermanguitar.com. dot com. That's his home website, and then there's you can offshoot to some of his other projects, which are uh, mm-hmm. kind of attached or linked from this website. But the guitar right. that I see you playing in most of the acoustic, and some of them I can see the headstock and some I can't, but it looks like a spruce top with mahogany back and sides. Is that correct? Or is that Actually, a different guitar? Um, there is some mahogany, but a lot of the, the sides and back are black walnut. Are they really? Yeah. But yeah, this guitar is definitely in all the pictures. It's, if there's any shots of the headstock, it's got a letter W on it, mm-hmm. and it's got a inlay, a pearl inlay with a cloud, with a lightning bolt coming out of it. And that's because uh, he named it El Nino, uh-huh. and it's on the label on the inside of the guitar. It's like you know, number fourteen, El Nino. <laughs> um, and what does the so, W yeah. stand for? That's the first letter of his last name, Rangan. His name was Mel Rangan. Huh. Have you ever come across one of his guitars anywhere else? Never did. And unfortunately, I lost touch with him. And of course, this has been a while now, and I'm afraid he's, he must have passed. Because yeah. This was in 2001, and he was 80 years old at the time. Mm-hmm. But I lost touch with him a number of years ago anyway. And I've, he never really was trying to go into business or, you know, reach the public with it. It was just something he just wanted to do and enjoyed doing. 
Um, so I was very, very lucky. Now, since you've owned that for going on 20 years, and you obviously perform with it or play it quite a lot, have you had to do um, like refrets and neck reset, anything like that over the years, or has it maintained itself really well? It's, it's maintained pretty well. The only thing that happened was uh, early on, after, I don't know, it was only a few years in, uh, the bridge started to raise up a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I contacted him at the time. He was still around. And he really wanted to uh, fix it for me. So I had it shipped back up to Maine. And he added uh, like some sort of a bolt, bolt through <clears throat> and did some gluing and uh, rebracing and uh, sent it back to me. So it's got a tiny little triangular pearl inlay on the on the bridge right now where he actually sort of attached something to secure the bridge back on and it's never been a problem since yeah now did it change other than that no go ahead i'm I'm sorry finish your thought well really not much else has been done to it i haven't been have it set up once a year or so um you know usually when the weather weather changes um in the fall, mm-hmm. I get it, get it set up because things start to go out of the whack after being outside all summer. Um, and uh, other than that, really, not much has gone on with that guitar. It's just, it just does its job. <laughs> it's just a very reliable, um, excellent quality guitar. I just continue using it, and really doesn't need much. Well, it must be easy for you. Well, easy is not necessarily the word, but convenient for you since you, and I think the music shop you work out of is Coffee Music in Westminster, Maryland, right? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I would I would assume it would be easy for you when you do need some sort of setup work, whether it's one of your electrics or the acoustic. They must have someone either on staff or someone they, they send it out to so that you are you don't have to be traveling to do that kind of thing. Or do you have a go-to tech person who you use? No, I'm pretty, I've been always pretty happy with uh, the guy. Um, his name is Ron Carney, and he actually lives over near Tawnytown. Uh, but he, he is regularly comes into coffee music to do guitar repair work, and I've always trusted him with my setups. <clears throat> on my guitars, and uh, he does a great job with them. I think I've so, heard his so, name yeah. before. Yeah. That's, it's one of them things. It's kind of like having a good car repair guy or you know a good hairdresser. <clears throat> you know, It's hard to find someone you trust, so when you do find someone, you stick with them. <laughs> um, well, I know many of the guitarists who are listening, and, and there's quite a few, they're, they're going to be curious. On your acoustic, what do you use for string brand and gauge and how often do you change them? Things like that. Well, um, in the last couple of years, I pull out a, one of these, so I don't say it wrong. Uh, for a long time, I used elixirs mm-hmm. um, just because they, they last for a long time. They don't break and the, and the sound and tone remains consistent for a very long time. Um, but I think one time it was just like, I knew my strings were just stone cold dead and needed to be changed and they didn't have any elixirs. Um, but they had these new D'Addario, um, strings and there's this new formulation for the, for the steel called NY steel. 
And, uh, you know, salesperson said, you know, you should try this. They're coated like the elixirs, so they're supposed to last longer. <clears throat> um, so maybe it'll be similar. So I said, you know, sometimes I'm I'm real paranoid about it. And I'm like, no, 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 I've got to have, like, the ones I like, you know. And, uh, but uh, other times, and this, this was a moment where I just said, you know, what the heck, let's just go ahead and try something. Because I knew I was desperate anyway. Um, and I put these Diderio NY Steel coated 80-20 bronze strings on, and it was like the first time I had a wow moment in a long time. I could not get over how good they sounded. And they didn't last as long as the elixirs, but for as long as they did last, I was just super impressed with how they sounded. It was hard to put in the words, but I just felt like they they had a real nice projection to them and clarity and they resonated the strings resonated together really well like it's hard it's really hard to put in the words but it just it just really felt like the strings were resonating together in a way just like humming as a set like i've never heard strings before uh, so i've i've stuck with them religiously ever since then and the gauge i'm using is 10 to 47 mm-hmm which is about as thin as they get. And uh, I did for a long time use heavier, um, you know, 11 to whatever it goes to with the elixirs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd already started to come down because it was just starting to fatigue my left hand too much. Because um, <clears throat> I was playing, and I still do, I play the majority of my gigs are acoustic um, more than others. And so I'm I'm out there with it a lot, and uh, you know, so fatigue is definitely an issue. <laughs> um, and so I I I I switched down to tens, and I you know for a long time I was concerned about that the going but to a center gauge would mean it'd be a center sound. Right. And and that was a concern, and in fact it was so much of a concern that I was swapping the ten out and putting an eleven on. And leaving the rest of it with the with the extra light gauge, because I just thought the high E was just terribly thin sounding. But you know what? When I started using these Diderios, I haven't felt the need to do that at all. Huh. <laughs> like even the ten just sounds bright and poppy, and 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 is not a problem. Um, so I have to say that's made a difference in my life, and I also switched all my electrics to the electric version of the NY steel <clears throat> Diderios and same thing happened. Wow. I thought the tone and, and uh, resonance of it um, improved significantly on all my guitars. Now, do you tune at concert pitch or do you tune down or do you tune in alternate tunings sometimes, or are you pretty much a standard pitch guy? Standard pitch is my normal thing. Um, quite familiar with um, different tunings, and so <clears throat> depending on the situation, I don't have any problem going into different tunings. But normally, everything's standard pitch. And I would, I would imagine, and I could be totally incorrect on this, but since you did take those four four semesters of music theory, and you started on classical, um, where the style itself is somewhat music theory, at least from what I little I know of it, because I was never a classical player. The 
I would imagine it's fairly easy for you to navigate around the fretboard and change keys without using a capo, or are you a capo user? Uh, both. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable either way. But I use the capo when it makes sense. Um, um, I mean, I do a lot of a lot of shows where I'm just playing, you know, cover tunes, and uh, I use the capo when uh, it, I know that's how it was originally done. Mm-hmm. Um, like James Taylor, um, and and assuming that it's in my vocal range, um, I'll put the capo exactly where it was originally done. Um, in other cases. I'm also, you know, very comfortable making my own arrangements of songs, and sometimes that just requires changing to a different key. And you know, yeah, definitely, I have a really strong background with music theory, which translates to really good fretboard knowledge. <clears throat> so I can definitely transpose to different keys and put things in whatever key I want. Um, but once again, sometimes a capo becomes a really cool-sounding solution. So. I'm really open on that sort of thing. I really like experimenting with different different ways of coming up with an arrangement. Now, do you have a go-to brand of capo? The Shub. Yep. I'm a Shub guy. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's one really main reason is it's such a low profile. Yes, it is. Um, it's not in the way. Um, the Kaisers, they're very convenient just being able to squeeze them, but they're so big. Yeah. And occasionally I've had a situation where I've actually, to make a chord, I have to sort of let my hand rest against the top of the shove. Mm-hmm. And and there's no way I could do that with the Kaiser or actually a lot of other capos are just too bulky. Yeah. Um, and so I, I love my shubs. <laughs> now, do you ever play with a, a shove partial capo? No, but I found that the shove can work perfectly well just capoed on five or four strings mm-hmm. instead of six. <clears throat> so I just sort of hack it that way. Sure. Now, you're since you are both a, an electric guitar player using picks, I would imagine, I'm sure mm-hmm. on your acoustic style, you use both a flat pick and bare fingers, I would imagine, for some of your fingerstyle arrangements. Do you have go-to right. brand and thickness of picks? Yeah, um, the picks uh, right now are a company called Cool Picks, C-O-O-L. And I'm using these ones, I think they're called Juratex. not sure, but uh, what they are is they're kind of a white jazz-shaped pick, kind of the teardrop style, but a little bit bigger. But they have a black, grippy surface on them. Um, which a lot of cool picks do. It's one of the things about them is they have different sort of textured surfaces, which make it easier to hold on to. And these ones have something that kind of feels like sandpaper, kind of gritty, <clears throat> but they have a very sharp point on them, like jazz picks do. Um, um, so I really like them. They're thin. They're called thins, but they're actually one millimeter, which is thicker than a lot of thins. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the idea is, I like a pick that's not too thick, but very firm. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't bend a lot. But at the same time, the texture or what it's made of makes a difference. And these are as close to the uh, old Tortex picks I used to use, Jim Dunlop Tortex, which were imitation tortoise shell. So sort of ongoing evolution, but 
I've I've been very happy with these cool picks for a long time now. They're close to the texture of the Tortex, so I like the sound of them when they when they hit the strings. It's a very natural sounding um, sound, and they're they're not too thick, but they're very firm, and they've got a real sharp point on the end, and those are my like go-to things. Now, does, uh, does, although I, I don't, I'm not uh, like the pick police with people about what pick they should use because it, it turns out it's extremely personal from person to person about what, what works for them. It is. And the the last show I, I did, I interviewed Ed Barney, who's out of the the Hagerstown, Martinsburg, Charlestown, Shepherdstown, West Virginia area. And I for, I'm forgetting the brand of the pick, but it has a very sharp point. And he said that he only uses them for about one set because he wants that point to be sharp. And as soon as it starts to round off, he throws the pick away. He, he has a whole kind of a, a dish or a bag of, of these picks. Now, do you find that the, the point on these cool picks stays pretty well or does it wear down as well? Oh, it wears down. Unfortunately, I, I can, I'm not, uh, as crazy, <clears throat> obsessed about it as that to change them every set. But I, Probably after a couple of shows, mm-hmm. I'll be reaching for a new pick um, because the point <clears throat> starts to wear down a little bit, or the grippy surface starts to wear off. Gosh, and that—that's become more important to me as years have gone by. Because here again, you know, it gets back to the thing of like minimizing tension. Mm-hmm. And part of the part of the thing about keeping my my endurance up and my stamina is not squeezing too hard when I'm using the pick. Um, and so. With the grippy surface, with a brand new pick, I can hold very lightly onto the pick, and it doesn't drop. You know, I don't drop it, but as soon as it starts to wear off, it becomes a little slippery, mm-hmm. and, and then I have to squeeze harder, and I just don't want to be squeezing harder. So, now I would imagine that uh, Crystal, who does your, she's your main marketing person, I think, isn't she? She is. Uh, my wife, Crystal, uh, she is. Uh, a talented artist <clears throat> trained in traditional traditional arts but also really well versed in graphic arts and commercial arts and she is behind all the all the visuals of my promotion all the graphics that are on my website um, she absolutely is uh, brilliant in all that stuff well I would imagine with the number of picks you go through based on the number of shows that you well you used to do and you will do again she could come up with a pretty cool mosaic using all those used picks. Oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> Tell her about that. That's a good idea. Yeah, recycle, recycle, recycle. <laughs> yeah. Now, going back to First Light, which is a stunning uh-huh. fingerstyle piece, by the way. Okay. Did you? Is that the only one you've you've done, or do you have you haven't not done more because just time? Uh, well, I did two albums within a few years of each other back then. First Light, and then the uh, second one was called One Mind, which is about, I don't know, five years later, I guess. Um, and uh, so everything everything happened in the late 90s, early 2000s era. And, uh, you know, I have to say that writing has just never been my strong suit. <laughs> and... Um, those albums came together 
because of collaboration with other musicians. Like that's what really helped me get them going. Different ways. I mean, the first light album, I was more of a leader, and then I just recruited musicians to collaborate with me. And then the next album, One Mind, was done as a complete three-way collaboration with a bass player and a drummer, where we co-wrote everything, arranged everything as a group. Um, so for me, uh, what what has happened is really uh, the the realities of you know being committed to making my living with music um, really ended up just meaning I had to make choices. And uh, um, the, the music that I always loved, and the only music I really was ever any good at writing, was instrumental music. And that is a very limited commercial market, you know. So uh, um, I did these projects completely out of my love for just music and playing the guitar, you know. Like, <laughs> the albums really answered the question that I was having at one point in my life is, you know, what do I want to do with music? You know, and the answer just kept coming back. I just want to play guitar. <laughs> so, so I just did two albums where the guitar was. And I think I lost you there for some reason. Are you still there, Ben? Well, let's give Ben a quick call back and hopefully the, uh, the sound will come back and we can get him back on the show. Let's see if I can find him again here. You may hear the, his phone ringing. There it is. Hello? Hey there. I, we lost you somehow. Can you hear me, Ben? Hello, are you there? Yep, I'm here. Are you there? Hello, hello? No, evidently we've lost Ben Sherman for some reason. I'm not sure why, and which is interesting because he only lives about two miles away from me, and I have a nice strong signal. Maybe he... Are you there, Ben? I hear you. Do you hear me? I hear you now, yes. I'm not, not sure what happened to our, our connection, but it dropped, and then for some reason you weren't hearing me. Is it still still okay? Can you hear me? Evidently not. Well, that I think that's going to be the end of today's show. I want to thank Ben Sherman for playing uh, for. Hang on a second. Okay, let's see if he can get it get it back here. Can you hear me now? I can hear you fine. Huh. Can you hear me? I hear you. Huh? I wonder what happened. I don't know what the heck went on there. You know, it's cyberspace is a wonderful thing, but it is also a big question mark in how it all works. And we are just outside of Fort yep. Detrick, Maryland. And Fort Detrick is the, if you see those large satellite dishes. Oh, actually, you're breaking up on me again. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do, Ben. We will finish the show there, and we will connect back at another time. I want to thank you so much for joining me. It's been fascinating. Yep, you're breaking up on me. Okay. The um, but I will I will chat with you later and thank you so much for joining me. I don't think he can hear me. Now well, you're breaking up. Okay, well I'll talk to you soon, Ben. Well, that's the end of today's show, ladies and gentlemen. But what we will do, I'm not sure if you were able to hear the entirety of the uh, the song First Light. I'm going to play it again so that we 
because I like it. It's terrific. And here you go. Ben, are you there? I am. Well, I'm I ready for my interview. <laughs> I don't know uh, what, what the heck happened. Yeah, I don't know either. I had I actually told everybody we were going away, but that's okay. I'd love to keep you back for a couple more minutes. Okay. The, I have um, no idea what happened, but let's keep going. Yeah, and I don't remember exactly what we were chatting about at that point in time. Oh, we were talking well, about... Well, you were asking about the song First Light, I guess. Yes. And uh, you... You just want to learn a little bit more about that? Well, I noticed on your site, that is one of the CDs that can be either downloaded or purchased. And it's basically a guitar top with two hands inside the sound hole pulling the strings apart. And it says Ben Sherman right. in the upper right-hand side. The um, And that's all instrumentals, correct? Yep, all instrumental. And is First Light the only original composition on that, or are there others? Um, they're almost all originals. Okay. First Light is almost all my songs. The only cover is uh, an instrumental of called Horizons, uh, which is uh, a guitar solo originally uh, by Steve Hackett of Genesis, mm -hmm. which appeared on an early Genesis album, Foxtrot, from the early 70s. And so I, I did a cover of that because it was just something that had been in my classical repertoire for years. And in the studio, I came up with an idea for a multi-track arrangement of it. And so, but other than that, that is all original music. Well, if the rest of the CD is as good as the song, or, excuse me, a song has lyrics, a tune is instrumentals. If the rest <laughs> of the CD is as good as the tune First Light, it's going to be fantastic. And I'm going to purchase either the download or a physical copy. And for those of you who might be interested in doing the same, on his site he still has cd baby is one way to do it and unfortunately cd baby no longer sells um physical cds but he does have it available on itunes and there's an audiophile imports i think and then guitar nine records so right. i'm sure we can get and go ahead i also i also sell direct I okay have, i have my own my own supply of all cds if somebody really wants a hard copy i can get it to you and how would they contact I'm you directly um email me um, ben at bensshermanguitar.com. All right. And uh, how much would we need to send you money-wise in order to purchase that? Ten dollars. Ten, ten bucks. That's going to be a deal yep. and a half. I'll tell you why. So many CDs out there are still 15. There's even a few that are 18 and 20. And wow. my wife, Carol, and I, when we eat dinner, uh, we play acoustic instrumental music in the background which is just mm -hmm. a wonderful way to do it because you're not folk, trying to focus on lyrics. You can just listen in and, and be surrounded by the, the music. And as I mentioned, if the rest of the CD is as good as First Light, I'm going to get some 10 bucks or dr just drop over by your house. I mentioned when you couldn't hear me that you only live about two or three miles away from me. So we will connect yeah. somehow to get a, for me to drop off a $10 bill and you to hand me out through the door in our social distance way the exchange of cash for CD. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, that's wonderful. Thank you. 
Now, this is early January 2021 that we're recording the show. The I noticed on your site that you have some upcoming shows at some of the wineries, I think, don't you? Or is that from a uh, previous schedule? Unfortunately, you just pointed out something that I've been very neglectful of, which is updating the website. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I don't have any in-person live performances coming up at all right now. Um, so I, I'd encourage people who want to hear me play to uh, um, find me on Facebook. And, uh, and I just want to mention that the performances I do are live video streams. You do not have to be signed up to Facebook to see them. Um, because I, I post them from a, a business page, and all you need is the link, which I can send you. So, so if someone wants to hear me play right now, <clears throat> the thing to do is send me an email, and I'll add you to the list of I send out of messages I send out once a week just to promote the fact that I'm doing a live show on Facebook. And you don't have to be signed up for it. Um, the only limitation is that you cannot interact with it. You mm-hmm. know, you can't leave a comment or or anything like that, but you can absolutely listen to me play live um, on the videos every Sunday, 4 to 5.30. And also on Wednesdays, I go live same way, and I spend an hour on Wednesdays just basically talking guitar talk. Um, and I usually usually make it an open session, and I just uh, ask people to contribute their thoughts and questions that are guitar-related, and we just chat about guitar and if there's nothing to chat about, I throw on backing tracks and do some jamming with my electric guitars. Well, now that you mentioned electric guitars and you have said you've just recently upgraded your uh, original black Strat, but what I've seen in your photo section, you're playing, among other things, a PRS. Um, you've even got a Gibson SG and some. What is your arsenal of electrics and how do you go about choosing which one to play? in a live situation? Well, it, it's actually, it's changed a lot. The SG was sold a few years ago, but um, <clears throat> I have a, a Telecaster that I got a couple years ago that has eclipsed almost all the others. Uh, I love it so much. Um, it's a beautiful Telecaster that was actually made. It's a parts guitar. A friend of mine <clears throat> who, uh, Again, got into guitar making as a sort of side side project. Uh, um, assembled this beautiful Telecaster from a, uh, some authorized Fender parts and a Warmoth body and uh, uh, just a great uh, selection of pickups. Um, so that's really become my, my number one uh, lately. Um, my wife got me uh, a beautiful Stratocaster at an auction a couple of years ago. That's a Mexican Strat from uh, 2011, I think. That one's really nice, so I do like to play that. And then uh, the most extraordinary thing happened. Um, uh, I was made a connection with uh, PRS, Paul Reed Smith Guitars. And uh, um, it's hard to explain the chain of events, but what, what ended up happening was they ended up sending me one of their new model P- PRS semi-hollow guitars. It's called a PRS uh, hollow body and uh, has a piezo pickup under the bridge and has a dual output um, so it can sort of simulate the sound of an acoustic guitar, but it's, it's a beautiful 
PRS electric guitar. It's one of their newest models. And uh, that's another one that I just have trouble putting it down once I start playing it. It's a beautiful guitar. So what, I, what to answer the question, though, that for the first time in my life, I have the real uh, uh, luxury of being able to choose the guitar that really is the most appropriate for the tone of a given song or the feel that I need. And uh, which is really lovely to do because like I, like I think I said earlier, you know, I've sort of changed my idea about tone over the years and especially more recent years to less and less overdrive and just more and more of the natural sound of the guitar. And so I'm really listening for the guitar's tone, you know, to really speak, you know? And uh, so <clears throat> More, the more I've been able to do that, the more I can just realize that, oh, this guitar would be perfect for this song. This guitar would be perfect for the blues, and this guitar would be perfect for the hard-hitting rock. And um, So when I do a live stream, I usually set up four or five guitars. And so I just try to think ahead of time which ones I'm going to use and try to sort of group them together, group the songs together. So I'll do a few guitars at a time. A few songs at a time with one guitar and then switch to another one. Um, so it's been so much fun. It's just been a, a unexpected joy of this whole scenario is by doing these live streams. I actually play some classical style, some I bang out some acoustic songs on a steel string, and then I, I jam out on an electric guitar. So you sound like you're being a kid again in your enthusiasm. I tell you, it's it's... It's kind of crazy, but um, Crystal and I are both, you know, um, just have feeling a lot of gratitude that in spite of in spite of it all, um, that we've been blessed with the opportunity to, you know, get into a situation where I can come down here and make music every week in my my basement studio and share it with people. And uh, what has happened was um, a sort of community has developed online of people who you know, regularly come to the live streams and listen and it's grown. And, uh, but, but the people who come, you know, are there, um, because it gives them something to look forward to and something to just enjoy and get their minds off the rest of the world. And, uh, so even though it's not in person, you know, I'm still getting a chance to really connect to people with music. Um, so the whole thing has just been unexpectedly uh, beautiful beautiful thing and given us a lot to be grateful for here. Well, this has been fun for me because I I know so much more about you that I did not know before because our interactions in the past have been very short-lived either at a at a show just, you know, a quick aside or via email or occasionally on the, the telephone. So this has been great. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Well, I appreciate it, Todd, and uh, I'm been glad to get to know you and really appreciated all you all your efforts <clears throat> since I've known you these last few years to in support of local music and live music. Uh, it really is uh, 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 it's been a great thing. I really appreciate it a lot. Well, you're most welcome, and I'm going to let you go back to your basement studio or whatever you're going to do next. Maybe see your hairstylist, as you mentioned off mic earlier. <laughs> <laughs> but thanks again, Ben. Those days are long gone. Yeah. <laughs> But I will connect with you via text or whatever to coordinate coming over with a $10 bill because I do want to purchase that CD. That would be wonderful. Thank you so much. Oh, you're most welcome. Enjoy the rest of the day, Ben, and I'll chat with you soon, okay? 
right. Thanks so much, Todd. All right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Well, that was Ben Sherman. And, gosh, we had a little bit of a, a tough time there where we lost cyber connection, which does happen in today's world. Um, we get so used to being instantaneous with our cell phones and our computers and Wi-Fi that we forget sometimes that things atmospheric, whether it's weather or overload on the bandwidth or whatever it is, will disconnect us, which did happen. So we're going to end the show there again. I'm going to start First Light again. As I mentioned earlier, we listen to it in its entirety at the first on the front end of the show. We're going to listen to it in its entirety at the end of the show. Thanks again for listening. The Wispy Mob Music Acoustic Radio Podcast Series is produced by Todd C. Walker at the Wispy Mob Music Studio in Frederick, Maryland. All music on the podcast is played by permission from the artist. If you're enjoying the series, please feel free to share the link, wispymobmusic.podbean.com, or you can find the show on either iTunes or Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>